A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At Bluenile.com, you can design a one of a kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hello, you're listening to another episode of Popcorn Podcast with Lee and Tim. And in this episode, we're talking Being the Ricardos, as well as all the latest movie and trailer news. I'm Timmy Fland, movie buff. And I'm Lee Livingstone, entertainment journalist. And we love to talk all things movies. And this is the final regular episode of season six. Thank you for joining us. Can you believe it, Lee? I cannot. Season six. Wow. But don't worry, we've got still got bonus episodes coming your way over the holidays. You have no idea the volume of episodes. (laughs) All right, so let's kick into it. We're going to discuss Being the Ricardos, which follows comedy icons Lucille Ball and Desi Arnaz during one week of filming I Love Lucy, from the table read through to audience taping as they face a crisis that could end their careers and another that could end their marriage. Being the Ricardos is written and directed by Aaron Sorkin of The West Wing. It stars Nicole Kidman, Javier Bardem, Nina Arianda, J.K. Simmons, Alia Shawkat, Jake Lacey and Tony Hale. An incredible ensemble cast. Yes. Now, just for our listener at home mm-hmm. that may not be familiar with the classic 50s American US sitcom I Love Lucy. It premiered on CBS in America in 1951. Mm. It ran until 1957. They produced 180 episodes. Incredible Mm. feat. And it was beloved by generations of fans then and even still today, me included. Do you love the show? I do. I don't watch it regularly, but I'm quite familiar with it. There are some iconic comedy moments that have come out of that show. Absolutely. And they mentioned at the top of this movie that I Love Lucy had 60 million viewers at its height. And they compare that to, you know, the considered success now, which is around mm. 10 million. And, you know, this was at the birth of television. Yeah. So the engagement of audiences in America for this sitcom mm-hmm. and these these characters in Lucy and Desi Ricardo mm-hmm. was in, immense. So the movie unfolds in a documentary style mm. with the three main writers of the show being interviewed about this week in question many years later in modern day. Yeah, we had key characters in the film. We had executive producer Jess Oppenheimer and writers Madeline Pugh and Bob Carroll all discussing 
what this film covers off, which is one production week of season mm. two of I Love Lucy. But then he throws in a few other stylistic choices in telling the story, doesn't he? Yeah, so to be able to weave in some of the more iconic comedy moments like Lucille stomping the grapes. Oh, God. That's a classic. Oh uh, so we get to see those play out through Lucille's creative process, which I think was really interesting. Yeah, I mean, I'm always obsessed with deep diving into the process of creating television mm. or films or whatever. And the way that they took you to those scenes in the series, the black and white, because the fil- the series yes. was filmed in black and white, was watching Lucille Ball's process in visualising her seeing a scene come yes. together in her head. And that's how they chose yeah. to showcase these iconic moments. Yeah. I thought it was a really, really interesting way of taking us yeah. there. So she's working it through in her head to yeah. see if it's going to be funny or not. Yes. And she was so obsessed about things being funny and hitting the right mm. beat. She was an absolute perfectionist. And there was quite a funny line that Nicole Kidman delivered in this movie that encapsulates Lucille Ball because she is hilarious as Lucy Ricardo mm. and she goes, oh, I'll be funny by Friday. Yeah, You know, she line. constantly works and chips away at it during the production week. The film plays out like a sitcom too, which I guess Aaron Sorkin is familiar with, having been the showrunner of The West Wing. Mm. So there's fading transitions between scenes. Did you yeah. notice that? It kind of fades between the scenes like, like a sitcom would. Like a sitcom, yeah. yeah. It also leans quite heavily on the score, which is another thing that sitcoms do because there are so many considered moments, I guess, where a character is mulling something over or working on something internally. And I guess as a viewer, that can become quite boring to watch. You know, this is a character-driven drama. That's what Aaron Sorkin does best. But it's not exactly high action, high octane action, is it? But you're never bored in an Aaron Sorkin film. The way he writes his scenes, his characters, that quick dialogue, watching a process. He's all about going from A to Z and everything in between. You see it all Mm. and all the layers that, that get you to that point. He's just a master wordsmith, isn't he, in kind of bringing to the surface what characters are trying to achieve and hooking you in as an audience and not letting you look Mm. away. One of the creative choices that I particularly loved is that it's from Lucy's perspective. Mm. Did you notice that? Even though this story is very much about Lucy and Desi, you know, it's about the couple and what they're going through during this week, it's Mm. very much told from her perspective. Yeah, and just to build on that, the focus of this film is – believe it or not, less on comedy, right? Mm. And it's more on the social and political issues at the time that Lucy and Desi are both grappling with. So these are the things that it covers. The media were reporting that her husband was cheating on her, Mm -hmm. Desi Arnaz. The sponsors don't want her appearing on air while pregnant. She announces that she's (laughs) pregnant (laughs) and that was a huge issue. Uh, And then there's also internal battles over a particular scene, a dinner party scene with the director and the writers, and she's just been publicly called out as being a communist. Yeah. So all of these things are just bubbling away in this one week of production. Yeah, there really is a lot going on. And it's all based on true events. Were you particularly aware of these events? No idea. Yeah. No idea. Especially the fact that Lucille Ball was accused of being a communist. Zero understanding yeah. that that was ever something she had to deal with, uh, let alone the infidelity mm. of her husband and and how she operated as a 
as a creative, as a comedic genius. I was just so deeply fascinated by her as a woman, which is what this film is about. It's less about Lucy Ricardo, but more about Lucille Ball. Yeah, absolutely. 100%. So Aaron Sorkin as a director, you know, he's directed television, of course, Mm -hmm. but in terms of film, he's only directed The Trial of the Chicago 7, as well as Molly's Game. Molly's Game was his directorial debut. That was a great film. Excellent film. Highly encourage you to Mm. see it. Did you see The Trial of Chicago 7? I did, yes. Yeah. I mean, that obviously leans into, it's a courtroom drama. Yeah. Dialogue, dialogue, dialogue. Yes. So it takes you on the journey there for sure. So some of the criticism around being the Ricardos is that Sorkin has turned Lucille Ball into an Aaron Sorkin character. (laughs) I have to say, I don't get that. What does that mean though? Exactly. And also, why is it a bad thing? Mm. You know, she is a real person, but he's taking this approach and it works for him. He he was very focused on understanding and uncovering Lucille Ball as a woman mm-hmm. and less Nicole doing verbatim Lucy Ricardo sort of yes. impersonations, although she absolutely nails that, which we'll mm. get into later. And he uncovers who she was, how she mm. ticks, how she operates, what she's dealing with personally as much as she is professionally. And I'm so glad that Aaron brought us into her world. You lifted that curtain there. What's interesting is we were at the Sydney premiere of Being the Ricardos, got to throw that in. (laughs) Uh, And Nicole Kidman actually did a a Q&A beforehand. Yes. And she mentioned that Aaron Sorkin didn't want her to verbatim be Lucille Ball. Mm. But she felt very strongly that she really needed to inhabit this character. He wanted Mm. her to capture the essence, but she wanted to be her. Yeah. And I think... It just, it's worked really well. You know, it isn't word for word probably. It's its definitely a dramatisation, but mm. it's just, yeah, the writing is done so well. Yeah, I completely agree with you that those criticisms about Aaron Sorkin making Lucille mm. Ball into an Aaron Sorkin character, again, whatever that means, I is th- unfounded and I don't think it's necessary. I think it also comes down to the fact there's a lot of walking and talking, which is what his dramas... We love that about him. <laughs> that's what his dramas are about. Yeah. yeah, People walking and talking. Can I share a quote from Aaron Sorkin where he said that I like claustrophobic spaces and short periods of time. So the idea of setting most of the film during a production week of I Love Lucy appealed to me. Mm -hmm. It became a matter of gathering enough information to create an interesting story. Do you think you delivered an interesting story here? A hundred percent. And, you know, it's really difficult to cover off a huge period of time. So Mm. if he'd looked at their entire relationship from woe to go or, Mm. you know, the inception of the TV series from woe to go – it wouldn't have worked as well. You couldn't have dove in as deeply as he did. The focus, the core of the film is about that one week of production and he invites us into how Desi and Lucy met through flashbacks. Yes. Back in their earlier careers Mm -hmm. and it led in crescendo to uh, an incredible third act finale. Mm. Everything kind of fell together but at the same time fell apart And it kind of leaves you hanging, doesn't it, at the end? I love that. Yeah, it does. But that's the thing about his dramas Mm. is that, you know, the big triumphant moments, and it's a really triumphant moment at Mm. the end of this film, is always undercut by some kind of sadness. Yes. But, I mean, that's life, right? That is life. And, of course, it's kind of encapsulated in this very, as Sorkin said, claustrophobic sort of context. Yeah. So you feel it weighing on you as an audience member. Mm. You really feel the impact 
of of the characters and what they're dealing with in the way that he's yeah. decided to bring it to you. But that's what you're left with when it's a snapshot. Yes. You know, things don't get wrapped up with a nice little neat bow. And you will see that in Spencer yeah. from Pablo Lorraine, which is only three days. Right. It covers a very short period of time. Yeah. I think those kind of approaches can be really effective. Yeah. And they were absolutely effective here. All right, Lee, do you think it's time to talk about Nicole Kidman? And her betrayal you're of just, Lucille Ball. You're just dying to talk about Nicole Kidman, aren't you? Don't hold me back anymore. Do it. Look, Nicole's transformation is mm-hmm. unreal. We see her toggle between Lucy Ricardo, the character from the sitcom, mm. and Lucille Ball effortlessly. You know, the way she carries her body and her voice. They're both very distinctive characters and she just mm. delivers them both flawlessly. I think that's what I found really interesting is that Lucille Ball as a person really turned it on as a character. Yeah. So I was finding moments where I was going, oh, she doesn't sound quite like Lucille Ball. But then when she was filming, whoa, did she? Yeah, because her voice is so, so distinctive. Yes. If you heard it and you closed your eyes, you didn't see any imagery, you would know it was Lucille Ball playing her character in I Love Lucy. Yes, but then just as a person, she still had twinges of that, but it was very Mm. subtle. And to get those nuances right is so impressive. Well, in the Q&A that Nicole had at the premiere Mm. with Angela Bishop, she said how liberating it was to encapsulate the physicality of Lucille Ball as a woman. I want to talk about that. Okay, go on. So she mentioned that the physicality of Lucille Ball was a real challenge for her because she's Mm. so tall and lanky and a little bit stiff. Mm. Her words. (laughs) Yeah. But I don't know that we got to see much of it. To be honest, you know, Lucille Ball is such a physical comedian. Yeah. And we only got glimpses of it in the scenes when she was, we were in her mind in the creative process, which wasn't very much in the physical space either. No. Um, And I would have loved to have seen more of that. Yeah, me too. I guess the issue is, though, it wasn't the film that Aaron Sorkin was making. Yeah. So I'm with you. I wanted to see more of that. I wanted to just marinate in her ability to transform herself. But they were just little Mm. teasers, weren't they? But as far as walking and talking goes, she was on the ball. Yeah, 11 out of 10. (laughs) It's just been announced as well that Kidman has been nominated for a Best Actress Golden Globe Mm. with an Oscar nomination right around the corner, I'm sure. Oh, 100%. Yeah. Yeah. Can I say, I don't think I've ever seen Javier Bardem in a role like this before. Right. With so much energy and so much charisma. I mean, you know, he's a charismatic man, definitely. He's a great performer. Yeah. But I just thoroughly... Thoroughly enjoyed his performance. Do you know the note that I wrote down while watching the film? What? Hello, charisma. <laughs> so, yes. Yeah. I mean, and that's what Desi Arnaz was all about, wasn't he? He was yeah. a very charismatic man. He really captured the essence of Desi. Yeah. Because he's he's many people. He's a businessman. He's an actor. He's a musician. Mm. He's a lover of life. And I loved everything that Javier Bardem mm. brought to the screen to realise that. He was deeply charming yep. uh, and very cheeky. And very patriotic. He yeah. loves America. Yeah, loves America. Incredible performance. Shall we talk about Alia Shawcat as well as the writer Madeline Pugh? Is that right? Yes. Yeah, she was incredible. She was great. And she makes reference about how hard it was for her to be a woman in the writing room for comedy. And I loved the relationship between her and Lucille Ball. There were some really interesting Mm. scenes there. Uh, Like, I don't know, like motherly, but also patronising. Like uh, there was a lot captured in one particular scene that I just loved and I keep thinking about it. 
I don't know what the age difference was like between them, but there were some moments where she really challenged Lucy. Mm. Actually, a lot of people really challenged Lucy and you Mm. kind of catch your breath and go, how is she going to react? Because she's the star and she's so in control and she knows what she wants, you know. And they talk about in the film how that sort of threatens Desi a little bit. Mm. But still, you know, she takes it in the spirit it's intended. It's a great team. Yeah, really great team. That's that's the word. Yeah. You loved seeing in the writing room, you know, on Monday when the film opens and they do the script read mm. and they're bouncing around jokes. Lucille Ball mm. is giving notes and it's how people interpret those notes and that feedback, whether it's like a stab that it's a bad joke or how it yeah. could be better. And I love that sort of that relationship that builds out over those yeah. that, those table reads. It's brilliant, brilliant. They, they really do feel like a family and I think that's probably what contributed to the success of the TV series. Yeah. What interestingly about uh, Vivian Vance, who played Ethel in Being yes. the Ricardos, oh. and then J.K. Simmons, who portrayed William Frawley, they bashed heads. Yes. How good was that to see? Oh, but, you know, J.K. Simmons is just amazing he in is. everything he does. But, oh, yeah, I was really, really, really impressed with Nina Arianda, her performance as Ethel, and the things that she was dealing with being on this show and having mm. to play the frumpy character, sure, if yeah. you will. And there's an interesting point at the end of the film as well where William, played by J.K. Simmons, also pipes up and says, well, how do I feel when the running joke is that she's too good for me and I'm an old man? And Yeah. You know. I mean, it was interesting context around it being in the 50s mm. and then obviously these really strong women wanting to liberate themselves. Yes. but But the constraints of an American TV network and CBS and the things that can and can't be done Mm. and how their characters are to be portrayed and the torment that they feel that they're kind of pigeonholed into a portrayal of an American woman that doesn't resonate with them. But it's so impressively forward thinking that they had a woman as one of the head writers. Oh, yes. That was, that was so good. That was so good. And of course her character lives on in the documentary style thing. She comments on the the week that was. So we got a few different variations of of her too, which is great. What did you think about bringing this era to life? I think everything about the fifties era was replicated to perfection here. Mm. I loved the recreation of the behind the scenes, the lights, the cameras, all those all those sorts of set pieces. Yeah. I loved being transported into that world. I love period pieces. How did you feel? It feels very old Hollywood, doesn't it? Oh, yeah. Well, it was, wasn't yeah. it? It really was. And the filmmakers have been handed a gift, really, to be able to film most of it on a soundstage because it's a controlled environment. They yeah. can control how it looks and how it sounds and what's going on. And what they deliver is a really authentic result, yeah. an authentic experience for the audience and no doubt for the actors to be performing in such spaces. Shall we wrap up Being the Ricardos, Tim? Yeah, let's give it a go. So Being the Ricardos is grand in scale for a Sorkin drama, but intimate in its focus and just a fascinating depiction of one of the most iconic comedy teams of the television age. Strong performances and a strong script make this movie compelling viewing. I'm going to give Being the Ricardos Four popcorn kernels out of five. Love that. Well, I love anything that dives into the behind the scenes world of Hollywood and the making of television. Aaron Sorkin takes you on quite an adventure and proves his ability to juggle a complex narrative structure to piece a story together effectively. There is comedy here, but it is more about the human story of Lucille and Desi, which we haven't seen before and added a complex and compelling layer to this film. Nicole Kidman and Javier Bardem are exceptional and are hot contenders for Oscar nominations 100%. for their performances. Oh, God. 
I'm going to be so mad if they don't. So I'm going to rate Being the Ricardos for popcorn kernels as well. Well said, Tim. Being the Ricardos is available on Amazon Prime Video from December 21 with a subscription to the service. So to kick off the news and trailer section of this episode, we actually have some news of our own. Lee, what is happening in the world of popcorn podcasts <laughs> with Lee and Tim that we'd like to share with our listener? Well, we filmed a little segment on A Current Affair this week, which will air on Christmas Eve, letting you know what you should see at the cinema over the holiday period. It was such a fun experience just to obviously talk Mm. movies like we do, uh, but with a really exciting audience for the very first time. It's going to be on national television. It's a current affairs program in Australia if you're listening from overseas. So check that out on Channel 9. So, Lee, this week we got a trailer for the exciting DreamWorks animation, The Bad Guys, based on Australian author Aaron Blaby's incredibly popular kids' books. These books are so popular. You can't overstate that enough. No, not at all. So, we were lucky enough to get an early look at the unfinished film and sat down with Blaby and producers Rebecca Huntley and Damon Ross, as well as director Pierre Perifel, to talk about what we can expect from this big screen adventure that's being billed as Tarantino for kids. I love that encapsulation. Yes. It's very true. When you check out the trailer, you'll get those vibes. I'm hooked. So you can check out the story and interview package on our website, which is popcornpodcast.com. But here's just a little bit of what they had to say. And this is the crew, Miss Tarantula, Mr. Shark, Mr. Piranha, Mr. Snake. Everyone copy. 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 We're the bad guys. It's crime time, baby. I think there's an element with the bad guys where it looks and feels like a book that is for their older siblings and suddenly they've got it. It's for them. And I think there's an element of that that it almost feels like they have a, a cheekier, naughtier, more slightly more dangerous series than they've anticipated and have ever had for that age group before. And I don't know, there was something about the cover of the first book that it landed in schools in America and just exploded straight away. And we found independently of before we'd even signed with DreamWorks, the books just through popularity in American schools got it onto the um, New York Times list like within a year or something. And then a couple of months after that, they were number one and they've remained, you know, for a hundred and something weeks now. I, can't, I don't know how long it's been. But I I don't know. I just think there's something about the tone of it. And that's been the main thing with the movie is Mm. the most satisfying part of this process has been seeing just how much the team at DreamWorks just got it and they got that tone because that was the biggest fear I had was that you could pass it off to a studio who would then make it too young and play down to kids or make it too old and too sophisticated Mm. so kids would enjoy it. It's that, that really sweet spot in the middle which they've they've nailed. Are you okay, ma'am? Thank you, dear. You're such a good boy. Wait, what? what? I'm the bad. We didn't want to go for the usual suspects, if you if you will. Unintended. Unintended. But also, because the, every character in the books and in the scripts were so specifically tailored and so specifically written, we needed a voice for each of them that was completely linked to it and and would be again also very specific and not necessarily getting somebody like up and coming talents you know that was that were so promising and would rise in the future and have that coolness and that appeal that you know we, we knew and and also a bit of a irreverence to them you know it was not supposed to be uh just your 
kind, not just George Clooney for Wolf, for instance, which we actually thought about. But we needed something more than that, even though we all love George Clooney, obviously. But we wanted, we needed something more. Uh, and I think it was the same kind of thought process for all of the all of the cast, and it ended up being, yeah, like you said, the coolest cast yeah. you could imagine, you know. And it all started with Tim Rockwell, really, really, who was the perfect cast for Wolf. And he's the nicest guy, and also such uh, inspiration for all the actors community in, in 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 the world, but in Los Angeles for sure. They all like everybody loved him so much because he's an actor's actor. And so once we when he said yes, you know, the rest of the cast quickly just gathered. Right <laughs> you had us at Sam. <laughs> and so you're right. I mean, there's such an element of it's unexpected and at the same time so intriguing to have a cast like this and so cool at the same time. And I think that's that's what we've been looking for from the beginning. I'm tired of being an outcast. Maybe I don't want to be a what? A bad guy? So this week also gifted us the first teaser for The Unbearable Weight of Massive Talent, starring Nicolas Cage in what can only be described as his most Nicolas Cage movie ever. I'm obsessed with the title of this (laughs) film. Gosh, this is going to be meta to no end. So the story follows a fictionalised version of Nick Cage, who is creatively unfulfilled and facing financial ruin, and decides to accept a $1 million offer to attend the birthday of a dangerous superfan, played by Pedro Pascal. Things take a wild turn when Cage is recruited by a CIA operative, played by Tiffany Haddish, and forced to live up to his own legend, channeling his most iconic on-screen characters to save himself and his loved ones. This trailer is absolute bonkers. So and crazy. I love it. Mm-hmm. Oh, if you haven't watched it yet, head over to our YouTube channel and check it out because it's really funny and I just can't wait to see this movie. <laughs> All right, so the film is due to explode into (laughs) theatres in April of next year, 2022. Now, it's just been announced that Kingsman 3 will film from September 2022 and wrap up Eggsy's story. Mm, I was expecting this to happen. So, star Taron Egerton spoke back in 2019 about his desire to suit up as Eggy one last time, saying, it was the role that kind of started my film career, so I'm always going to feel a great fondness for the part. Yeah, he's also said that he would like to do one more because frankly as he says I'd like to say goodbye to him in a befitting way and to finish the trilogy all good things come to an end and it was always imagined as a trilogy now very soon we're going to have the king's man which is a prequel to the Mm. series so then this will kind of be a four movie series I guess in the end yes but Matthew Vaughan, the director, has mm. always said there's like seven. Has he? Planned, yes, because there's a Statesman movie as well in the oh. works. Remember that was, I don't know where that's at now. Are they the American team? Yes, right. and that was going to be led by Channing Tatum, but I don't really know what's going on there. They set that up at the end of the last movie. They did too. Okay, yeah. we'll watch this space. Maybe Eggsy's story comes to an end, but there are more stories yes. to be told. We also got the first trailer for Fantastic Beasts, The Secrets of Dumbledore, which is the third in this Fantastic Beasts series. Now, the film follows Professor Albus Dumbledore, played by Jude Law, who knows that the powerful dark wizard Grindelwald, played by Mads Mikkelsen, is moving to seize control of the wizarding world. Unable to stop him alone, he entrusts Newt Scamander, played by Eddie Redmayne, to lead an intrepid team of wizards, witches, and one brave muggle baker on a dangerous mission. Newt Scamander has sort of been sidelined. 
a little bit in just? this film. I mean, not really. He's he's in it, but he doesn't feel like the focus anymore. No, no. this I is mean, the Dumbledore and Grindelwald story, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. And just to build on Grindelwald, so Mads Mikkelsen, mm-hmm. he was cast in this role when Johnny Depp was fired. Yes. From the film project. So his look is very different in the trailer. Yes, but I don't think that matters. We've no. discussed this before. Yeah. I mean, Grindelwald has been played by four different actors at this point. You're not wrong. Colin Farrell and then Johnny Depp, of course, Mads Mikkelsen, and then the young mm. actor that played him in the Harry Potter series. Yeah. So, look, it is inherent in this character apparently that they get recast mm. 500 times. So it's just another day. Yeah. So Fantastic Beasts, The Secrets of Dumbledore will cast a spell on us in theatres in April 2022. Now, the first trailer for a very fun film, mm-hmm. The Lost City, dropped this week. It follows brilliant but reclusive author Loretta Sage, played by Sandra Bullock, bowed down, who has spent her career writing about exotic places in her romance adventure novels featuring handsome cover model Alan, played by Channing Tatum. While on tour promoting her new book with Alan – because you go on tour with your cover model. That's interesting. Very normal. You're not using Shutterstock. <laughs> What's Shutterstock? It's a stock image site. <laughs> okay. Isn't that what books usually use for their covers? Yeah, they're all just Fabio stock yeah, images. Exactly. So anyway, while on tour promoting her new book, Loretta is kidnapped by an eccentric billionaire played by Daniel Radcliffe. I feel like he's always an eccentric billionaire. Uh, now You See Me Too? Yes. Wasn't he an eccentric billionaire there? <laughs> yeah. yeah. So anyway, he hopes that Loretta can lead him to the ancient Lost City's treasure from her latest story. So he's obviously insane as well. So The Lost City is coming to Australian cinemas on March 24 of 2022. And that's it for another episode of Popcorn Podcast, the last of season six. But as we said, stay tuned. Make sure you're following us because there's still bonus episodes coming because there's so many movies coming out. You bet, baby. And don't forget to check us out on A Current Affair on Christmas Eve on Channel 9. Guys, as always, thank you so much for listening. We'll catch you next time. We have a website popcornpodcast.com make sure you check it out we've got all our episodes up there for you to listen to if you'd like to get to know us a little better there's an about us section and we run ticket giveaways so keep an eye on the website for more information hi this is craig robinson from ways to win And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ. The future isn't scary, not realizing its potential, however, could be. Just like on the recruiting trail, I've seen potential come in many forms as a coach. Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to Quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. 
Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.